Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. And now, let's join our hosts for today's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast. Today, we're talking about a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, I think, controversial topic, life after failure. And I'm sitting here with two, speaking of failure, I'm sitting here with is two a of failure my of, of our friendship. Is are you? Is it a commentary <laughs> about how bad our friendship is, or that you feel bad that we're your best friends? I don't know. Just yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I think we should just roll with this one. This is great, my friend. Speaking of failure, yes. uh, feeling. I was feeling good. I was feeling great before the intro of this episode of the podcast. Oh, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Then. Get some tougher skin there, David. You've dished out much, much worse. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm going to need your counselor's phone number after this, but thanks. Yeah. Done. Done. <laughs> yeah, totally. Hey, um, this this is a great, um, I think it's a needed, needed topic. And we have an incredible interview uh, with Blaine Bartell that we're going to get into later. So just as a tease for those of you that have been in, if you've been in student ministry and, you know, 15, in the last 15, 20 years, you know who he is. Um, but this was an important topic for us to jump into. And I think all of us wanted to talk about this, but David, you had a, some specific, uh, this was something that you were passionate that we bring into the podcast. Unpack that yeah. a little bit of why you feel like this specific topic was so important for us to cover and get out there in the open. Yeah, no, I... I think it's huge and and it's been huge for a few reasons in my mind. Um, you know, failure has become kind of the the scarlet letter of ministry. You know, if you if you fail, if you've messed up in any way, whether it was a a major moral failing that was public and in everyone's face or if it was a you took over a ministry and it didn't perform the way that everyone thought it was or you know, we've talked in past episodes about getting let go from a job. I mean, you know, man, all those things I've I've seen it, and it's happening, and and we live in such fear of that failure. I I know for myself, like when I hear someone and they have a story of failure, um, man, yeah. I'm actually really intrigued, like that redemption story and that idea of of them uh, getting back into leadership and 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 what does that look like, man? I I look at it and I cheer for it and I love it and I'm so excited. I, mm-hmm. I am quick. To welcome somebody back after a really hard season, um, I don't think it cancels out. But here's the kicker, and this is why I, I felt this was going to be so important, um, you know, for this episode, is that uh, for me personally, I live in this fear that if I fail, that if I take something over and it doesn't quite go the way that everyone thought it was going to, or if I uh, make you know just a major mistake along the way, whether moral or otherwise. That 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 others won't uh, forgive me. Mm. That others won't yeah. care for me the same way that I feel like I care for them. Mm-hmm. And and that that fear can become haunting. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely lived in seasons that that I watch and I'm and I'm trying to figure out. Okay, does this person value me? 
because of who I am, who God has made me, because of our friendship, because of our work together? Or does this person yeah, only value me totally. because I bring something to the table that they benefit from? Yep. And so my head, you know, cognitively, I know that there is life after failure. I've seen it. I've helped others through it. Mm-hmm. I have been a part of life after failure. Um, but emotionally, I believe that I have sat in the midst of wondering for myself if there would be life after failure. Mm. And I think that's what this podcast is all about. It's taking these really difficult topics that there's no way we're going to cover all of it, Mm -hmm. right? But taking these really difficult topics and normalizing the conversation a little bit and just being able to say, hey, you're not alone in feeling that. And so even me just, you know, sharing this now, it's like me saying, man, I'm not alone in feeling like... Uh, if I were to fail, it would be over. Um, and and yet again, I don't believe that for other people. Yep. I think we need to normalize this. Totally. Well, we we almost we also have a front row seat in we what do. we do at Slingshot because we deal with people many many times that are coming out of a season of yes. failure or some other you know mark on their past, whether it's they went through a divorce or they had an affair, or they dealt with pornography, or any name, you know, any endless marks that can be put on someone in ministry and people that have gone through a journey of restoration, many of them who have done the work um, to be restored, and, and obviously their family and their spiritual and personal life comes first, but now they're in a place of health and looking back to come back to the calling that God has placed on them. And we see over and over and over again, those people and those candidates are not given the same look as someone that has a quote-unquote spotless record in their past. And it's really a matter of that their failures just haven't become public. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, and you guys, you know, many that are even listening know my journey, know my story. I mean, this is my story. Um, It's a story of failure and then being restored and redeemed. And I'm so grateful for the team at Slingshot and the love from so many in our our great organization. But having experienced it and, and walked through it. I can tell you, and I want Blaine to really share his story, and we're going to learn so much of that, and I'm so excited about it. But just quickly, if I could add to that, you know, we all want, David, what you were saying a minute ago, we all want what you want. We want ministry success, and we also want to know that we're not just loved because of our success. And so what happens if we fail? And the the challenge for those of us in ministry is that culture defines success mostly in terms of larger budgets, more adherents or constituents. Mm you know, in modern Christianity defines and determines success in a way that oftentimes is disconnected from like what scripture informs, you know, a life of obedience and identity in Christ. And so what I would say is that spiritually unhealthy expectations often give rise to spiritually unhealthy habits in our lives. And so I think those are some things, and we all hear about the warning signs. And yet, I love this conversation because we're not just talking about the warning signs. What happens when you blow through the warning signs? What happens when secret sin becomes public sin and you have to own what happens? And what I could say is that there there is hope and that there is life after failure and that no failure is actually final because Jesus writes great stories. And so I'm excited about Blaine's story for that reason, because I believe it's going to bring hope to so many that, that may have found themselves in a place where they've experienced the death of the hero in themselves. And they're, they're wondering, 
is there life after this? Mm, Can yeah. I be who God's called me to be? Well, thank God for his grace, right? It's only because of God's grace that any of us are enabled to serve the bride of Christ. If it were not for grace, none of us are fit, uh, whether we've had a public or a private failing, because we all have failed. We we all are failures. And I just don't, I don't think that everyone, you know, that statement that you just gave, you know, it is only by his grace has become trite and cliche within within ministry for so many. It's so true. And yet, um, I think, again, I think people, I think leaders uh, believe that in their head. It is only because of his grace that I'm in the position I'm in. And yet, I think we've, believe, we've begun to believe the hype that actually it's because I'm really, really talented. Actually, it's because I'm a great leader. Actually, it's because this thing that I've accomplished is why I have the, you know, fill in the blank, the amount of... Or even more dangerous, I'm super holy. Well, yeah. sure. And, and and Vance, you you said something, um, you know, early on, you know, at Slingshot, we we do, we work with candidates and not every candidate, you know, we work with, you know, has experienced that kind of failure. But man, uh, you know, we, we really have become like kind of a safe harbor for people that have had a hard season yep. and are ready for what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can think of a story um, right now of, of a candidate who I just really, I really bought into this candidate. I just, you know, uh, he had had a, a difficult season in a ministry. He was let go. Um, and rightfully so. He was let go from his ministry and he should have been. Um, a few years had gone by. He had done the work. And again, I want that, that, that distinction real fast. Um, I'm not talking, I don't think, I don't want anyone to think that we're, we're saying life after failure. And so you failed and like, come on guys, let me back. You know I mean? That's, that, that's not what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Everything is exactly the same. It will never be the same. Yes. Right. Exactly. And, and this idea, it, what we're saying is, is life after failure happens after you've done the hard work of restoration, of, um, of self-reflection, of, you know, getting yourself there. So failure has happened and now you've done what it takes to, to be back. The issue comes into play that we believe so deeply that leaders should be infallible that once they've done the hard work of restoration, it is still difficult for a leader that has experienced failure to be back in, whether it's the public eye or back in the local church or have a, a measure of leadership. And so the story that came to mind as you were saying that earlier is, is, is that a candidate who um, was a youth pastor and you know just made some bad choices, should have been let go, was, um, and then, you know, it, I think it was four, you know, it was four years later, um, was interested in, in getting back into ministry and no church would touch him. Yeah. Every church that I, that I, I introduced him to, um, was, was incredibly wary. Um, I remember even telling him, man, this job is going to be like a really tough one to get. But after you get this one, if you, if you really, if you do a great job after this one, then no one will think about your yep. failure anymore. Yep. It's that first, it's that it's first risk. You know, yeah, well, it, yeah, because they are the churches. They're taking this risk to bring you back in, but it's that first one back that holds all that weight. And there's a church here in Southern California that ended up um, bringing him in, and he has been there for uh, for five years. He's been promoted twice. Yeah. He's done an incredible job with their ministry. I, I, you know, it, it, it endeared that leadership of that church in my mind. Of like, oh my gosh, what an incredible yeah. um, story that you get to be a part of. But man, I, I think that I uh, put him up 
for at least 10 churches Mm -hmm. to go back, you know, four years later, 10 churches that he was going to come in and and be on staff with. And all of them made reference to, we can't take that risk that, you know, he's completely healed or that, you know, and so again, it's, and I understand where they're coming from. Sure. You know what I mean? It's not to completely cancel out where they're at, but it is just to say, that I think is why this this is so important. There are so many people out there that are just waiting for that next chance. Well, and to, to what you said, the the risk. Yeah, I would even think about, and I, I I said it too earlier, but in reality, if someone, and again, this is when we, we're dealing with people that are looking for a job, you can tell, and we have people on our team. We have several people on our team that are part of Slingshot. That this is their story. This is their journey. And time and time again, the key the key phrase is the work. They've done the work. If they've gone through that process, more often than not, they are more prepared, more self-aware, more yes. healthy, more mature, more ready to face mm-hmm. ministry challenges than if you would have hired them directly out of the church that they were in. It's because uh, yeah. of the 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 galvanizing and the 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 literal just pain and loss that that yep. it's the paradox of God that he uses the thing that probably the enemy meant to absolutely destroy this person. God has used that yep. to restore and bring a new level of strength. Just like when I, if you break a bone, it grows back stronger. And so once someone right. goes through that work, yes, there is a risk in that maybe you might have to put your reputation on the line to say, Hey, trust me. Uh, we're hiring this person. This was their past, and you know we're going to vouch for them. But if they've, uh, if a person has truly done the work, they're transformed and changed and different, and and more ready than some that are coming straight out of uh, a a quote unquote healthy church transition. Yeah, I, I'm always a little bit suspect of the person that has not experienced any failure. Yeah, you know the leader that hasn't experienced any failure. Um, I always kind of raise an eyebrow because it's kind of a, we're not sure how you're going to, like you will experience it at some point and we're not sure how you're going to respond once you hit the wall. You know, this person that has come on the other side, we know how they're going to respond. We know that they're going to come at it from a healthy, you know, or at least we, there's, there's more indicators that they're going to approach this in a healthy manner. And there's something about that. You can't have one without the other. You can't have mm-hmm. like, like there are plenty of leaders out there who have experienced failure and will refuse to deal with it, will refuse to, you know, quote unquote, do the work. And that that's an issue. That's a different issue. But I think, again, what 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 my hope is in this conversation and what we're going to get with this interview with Blaine is is understanding that you do come out of the other side of failure, that it doesn't have to be. The thing that cancels you out. It doesn't mean, oh, now, uh, you know, hope you really enjoy, you know, selling insurance. You know what I mean? Or hope you really enjoy doing this other job that 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 isn't the thing that you were called to. And I and and that has to change yeah. within us. Yeah. The Bible is full of redemption stories. Sure, it is. Absolutely. It is Thank full God of of people who have failed, people who were looked over, people who didn't measure up, people who made major, major um, mistakes in their life choices, and yet were used by God. Yep. And here we are in 2019, and when somebody makes a, you know, a major mistake, they are now canceled out 
Yeah. God can't use them anymore. We've 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 got to shift that. Mm. And that's what I get really excited about as we continue this conversation. Yeah. So I am really looking forward to this interview because for me, you know, when I was young in ministry, uh Blaine Bartell uh was one of my heroes. Same. Uh he was you know, the founder of the 180 movement back in the 90s and 2000s. I mean, I think it's been the only franchise model of student ministry. There was a 180 like in every, every city. Every town in the early 2000s, especially. And uh, so his influence is so far and so wide and had such an impact in, in from, you know, just from Blaine's leadership talks. And as we get into this interview, his wisdom is going to be evident but for me i remember the day like the the day that the news that i i heard that blaine bartell had a moral failure uh it shook me to my core because he was somebody that i had on that high pedestal and had this realization of a couple things one that wow if that can happen to blaine that can happen to me and 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 also my heroes are human they're, you know, the people that I look up to, they, they can and will, will fail. And so it's awesome to see how God has used Blaine to now taking again this thing that it, it destroyed his ministry. His ministry was done, but now has gone through and done the work. And now the very thing that did destroy his ministry has birthed something new where he is now has a platform in a way that he never had before to help pastors and leaders serve the church again. So everybody get ready. This is gonna be an incredible journey as we walk through this story. I hope that it is encouraging to you um, and a testament to God's grace. Let's jump into the story with Blaine. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, somebody who's special in my life and ministry who I've looked up to uh, for a long time, who was highly inf influential in my ministry, and I'm sure for a lot of you out there. Today, we have uh, the one, the only Mr. Fire by Night, uh, Blaine Bartell. Welcome, Blaine. Vance, good to see you. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing awesome. I will say personally, we just adopted a puppy and I'm not sleeping a lot. But other than that, I'm doing awesome. <laughs> yeah, we adopted a puppy about two years ago and that lasted about six months. Oh my gosh. You de un unadopted the puppy. Someone had to come rescue it. <laughs> yes, rescue it from you guys. Yeah, I, um, we've had those moments in the last uh, week, if I'm, if I'm honest. But uh, Blaine, thanks so much for, for being here and uh, talking about a really, really important topic. I think let's just jump right in. Uh, tell us, walk us through uh, your story. You had a moral failure. It kind of messed up your life, but God has been uh, faithful in all of that. Walk us through what happened um, in your ministry and in your life. Well, it was, uh, yeah, it to say it messed up my life is an understatement, but yeah, 10 years ago, uh, I confessed uh, to my, uh, my wife and my family and my church in Dallas, Texas, uh, to 25 years of uh, pornography uh, wow. and reaching outside of my marriage to uh, massage 
parlors that were illegitimate and escorts. And it was just one terrible, terrible uh, uh, addiction to just sexual promiscuity and uh, a stronghold that developed in my life. Uh, when I was in my 20s, uh, I, uh, I was traveling a lot. Uh, we had this TV show and I was in demand as a speaker and gone all the time and was exhausted and not taking care of my soul and saying yes to everything, no to nothing. And yeah. I remember the first time I uh, ever looked at porn, I didn't grow up with it. Uh, first time I looked at it was 28 years old and I was sitting in a hotel room and uh, had that white box on top of the TV and the red button. And I knew what it was. It had been in all the other hotel rooms I'd ever yep. stayed at in two to three years of traveling in, uh, in ministry. And, and so I hit that button and on came this adult movie and it wow. just, uh, you know, it just caught me, man. Mm. I mean, I was just enthralled by all these images and, you know, I shut it off after, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes uh, of just, you know, this pleasure moment in my life. And I felt ashamed and I, I, I hated myself for doing it. I knew it was wrong. I, I repented. I cried myself to sleep that night. I had to preach the next morning. I told God I'd never do it again. But I made the worst decision uh, that I ever made that night, uh, which was I went down to the front desk and I paid for the movie because I didn't want my hosts, who were at church, mm -hmm. to find out that I'd watched it. And uh, it was the beginning, Vance, of a really a 25-year cover-up in my life. And I, I, I never intended to watch it ever again. I never wanted to do it again, uh, but six months later, I find myself in the same soul-sucking place of feeling exhausted and lost and not taking care of my soul, and I give in again, and just uh, as lust does, it just creeps into your life a day at a time, a month at a time, and slowly but surely, it takes over, and... Uh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, it is just, uh, it's got a full on stronghold in my wow. life that is actively destroying me behind closed doors and secret uh, places and the underground of the world that I was living in. And it finally caught up with me. And, and I was, you know, I was forced into a confession. And uh, within a year of that uh, disclosure, I lost uh, my marriage, uh, lost my church, lost my career, lost my children. Uh, they wanted nothing to do with me. I had three boys in their 20s that just were absolutely disappointed uh, in their father and uh, lost most of my friends and went completely broke. I mean, I, uh, I had to borrow money. Uh, I remember having to borrow money from one of my only friends that I had left just to, just to wow. make it. Uh, and uh, somehow, you know, I uh, somehow God 
placed me back on my feet uh, and surrounded me with a few really wonderful men of God that walked me through resurrection. And, uh, mm. and he allowed me to live to see a new day. And uh, I'm living in the grace of his resurrection 10 years later. That's amazing. You know, I, I, can, I can only, you know, when I, when I hear about that 20-year-old Blaine in that hotel room, and where that led, I can I, I picture myself in in a lot of ways, you know. And I've always thought where I see other people in ministry, you know, that have prominent ministries that have failures. I mean, you you and I both could probably name off a dozen pretty pretty easily. And there's always this sense that 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 could never be me. That's that that would probably never be me. I or oh my gosh, that happened to them. That totally could be me. At what point, how did you get from probably somebody early before that moment, I'm not going to, I'm going to walk the straight and narrow. I'm going to be the pastor of pastors. I'm going to be, you know, all the things that you had probably dreamed and, and this underground that happened. How did, how did that happen? How did you get from, that's not going to be me to, you lived at you, you, it became you. Yeah. Good question, man. You know, I, I think I grew up in this theology, uh, Vance that was kind of a, uh, was kind of what I would call a do it yourself theology. It was almost, you know how YouTube, you can get on there and figure out anything on your own. Yeah, totally. I, I replaced an axle on my pilot. Yeah. Um, from YouTube. Yes. Well, that's kind of the theology that I was raised in is you can, you can figure out anything on your own with the Bible and God and prayer. And uh, I excluded, uh, I think, the most important part of overcoming our weaknesses and sin, which is confess your sins one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. So forgiveness comes from God, but healing and restoration and and the power to get well comes in brotherhood and confession and sisterhood. If a, if a, sure. or, you know some ladies that are listening today, but um, it wasn't until that happened uh, that I really began. And so I just kept thinking, if I just keep working on this, if right. I just keep striving, you know, maybe this message will help me. Maybe this book will be the answer. Maybe this time it'll work. You know, I remember every January 1st, I would, okay, this year is going to be the year. Mm -hmm. I remember every birthday, this, this, this year is going to be the year. I remember when I, you know, became a senior pastor. Okay. Now that I'm a senior pastor, God's going to give me grace to stop this. And there was always, you know, some point, some landmark some new thing that somehow, but it wasn't until I finally disclosed and invited men of God into my life that could not just bring accountability, but bring grace and love and healing and wisdom to know this is how you do it. Like I needed tools. I needed help. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. It was bigger than me. It was more powerful than me. And when I got those tools and I got that help, within a year, God had completely set me free. I mean, I've been living free from porn 
and sexual vice now for nine straight years without one and without really any any heavy weight of it at all but i i didn't know how and it wasn't until i got some some men in my life that were experts and knew their way around this stuff that could really uh help to guide me where i needed to go yeah i that's that is amazing the fact that you've been free for for nine years i think hearing that because there's got to be people out here that are dealing with this we just know that there's somebody listening to this right now that's dealing with pornography or whatever else but to know that there can be freedom because i think when you're under the weight of this sin and it's hidden it feels insurmountable and they don't have the tools and they don't have the resources and they can't climb out of it and they probably made the resolutions over and over and over again do you think that part of the issue because you know i've grown up in church and it seems like for a pastor somebody in church leadership there's almost this necessity seemingly i think the enemy uses this lie to hide the sin because really to reveal the sin is to some in some cases you lose everything and so there's this idea that okay i need if i'm just going to fight this on my own until i can beat it and then then i'll be free and so it continue the the it compounds itself with keeping it hidden because of a because of the stakes of uh, that you know a minister has to keep it hidden so what would you say to both churches and to those that are dealing with this how do you deal with that pressure and that that decision of do i bring this in the light and deal with it and run the risk of losing everything or do i deal with this myself and run the risk of losing everything because yeah great question i mean that honestly that was part of it for me was if i tell somebody this i i could lose everything my job my family everything so you know if you're a plumber and you got a porn problem well, you can tell your pastor, you can tell your wife, and you're not gonna you're you're gonna go get to work on pipes the next day and fix right. them. Right. But so that's why if I would have known of somebody in the uh, in the world that I could have gone to and told him everything, and knowing there was no immediate repercussions that I could have just talked to and said, listen here's what's going on. This is what I'm doing. And I desperately need wisdom and help and guidance. And I need you to be completely confidential. I would have gone to that person in a minute. So that's what I'm doing today. I mean, Mm. um, the reason that uh, we're doing the coaching work and the ministry work that we do with pastors today is because I didn't have that guy. So all of our ministry today is is basically geared towards people in ministry, lead pastors. When they come to us via our website and they send us a confidential email, uh, I'm committed to confidentiality. Mm-hmm. I will meet with them. I will talk to them. It will be private. It will be confidential. And I will not ask them to talk to anybody else. And... We are able to do it uh, because of partners. We have churches and we have individuals that support us uh, financially in partnerships. So we're able to do that 
completely uh, pro bono with pastors today. Wow. So they don't have to, what a gift. They don't have to throw down money. So uh, they, so the point that I'm making is today there is a way for a pastor who is in that situation to at least get help, be able to unload on somebody and say, this is what's going on and not have to fear any repercussions at all. And just know that they can be loved and they can be given guidance and be given help. Now, I'm not going to tell you and, and sit here and say that a part of my guidance isn't going to be to have a conversation sure. with some other people. Um, but I'm not going to force his hand and I'm not going to tell them when to do that or how to do that. I'm just going to help to guide them through what I think would be best practice for them, but they get to make those choices. So, but that, yeah, that's a, that's a huge decision. And that's, and, but I, I'm going to say this, that, you know, this idea that, uh, Every single pastor that has ever had any kind of foray into the world of porn or they've looked at a Victoria's Secret catalog and masturbated or whatever, that they're immediately disqualified from any kind of ministry or from any kind of leadership position. Listen, if that were true, we would lose nobody left. left. 80%, 90% yeah. of our leaders in the church. Sure. So don't think that you're immediately disqualified because you've sinned here or you've sinned there. Listen, uh, that's not always the case. And I'm not saying that ministers don't need to sit down, take a break, have restoration, be healed. I'm not saying that at all. But at the same time, this business of, well, we're, you know, you've done this, so you're out for three years and yeah. we're never going to see you again. That's got to stop because sure. that is pushing men and women into secrecy and into hiding. Yeah, yeah. What would you say to a church, uh, church leaders out there who find out that there are people on their staff that are dealing with these sin issues? What would your recommendation to them be um, as what a restoration journey should look like. And I know it's different for every sin. You know, a different sin has different consequences. But what, do, what should be the approach of, of church leaders to other church leaders that are dealing with some type of hidden sin issue that, that becomes public, that's not hidden anymore? Well, that's a huge question. Um, I'll put... I'll, I'll first of all, I'll lead with a scripture. You know, Paul said, when you see a man caught in sin, you that uh, are spiritual, go to him with a, a spirit of gentleness or of meekness and restore such a man. So first of all, uh, those that are spiritual or those that are mature, so mature people, spiritual bishops, elders need to handle it. Uh, we go with meekness, with love, with grace, not with judgment. Uh, and then we go to restore. That word restore in the Greek is the same word that was used to heal a broken bone in that day. Mm -hmm. And so if you're healing, say, a, a broken arm in that, or even in this day, the first thing you're going to do with a broken arm is you're going to immobilize it. You're going to make, you know, because the last thing you want is to keep using a broken arm. So you yeah. set the broken arm 
aside, not to punish the arm, not to say it's a bad arm and to say it can never be used again, but because it needs healing. And so you immobilize the arm, you wrap the arm Mm -hmm. to protect it, and you give the arm time to fully heal so that the bone mends, and you keep checking on the arm, and once the arm is healed, then it, it can be put into use again. So rather than just saying, well, we'll throw away the arm and we don't want to see the arm again, no. So if someone is in sin and they need restoration, we go to them, we care for them, we see how bad is the break, we wrap that rake, we care for it, we keep checking on it, we keep doing x-rays, we keep looking at it, we see how it's healing, and a part of that healing obviously is going to depend on the person. Are they receiving? Are they repenting? Are they humble? Are they doing the right thing in their marriage? You know, are, are they, you know, so a lot of it is dependent on the person that is being restored. And so we have to do our part, but they, they also have to be willing right. to do uh, their part. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with what you said. It depends on the sin. So if, if somebody has been having uh, a porn issue or in the last uh, year they've looked at porn, you know, once a month, you know, and, and so, man, I, I've got to get rid of this. Well, that's not as serious as somebody that's had an affair with uh, four women in the church. Right. That, you're going to handle those completely different, okay. and there's going to be total, totally different repercussions. And uh, you're going to have to figure out not just what is healthy for the person being restored, but what is healthy for all the others involved as well, for the 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 spouse for the others that have been offended and been a part of uh, some of the other uh, brokenness that is involved. So there's a lot to it. But I would say, uh, uh, and by saying this, uh, if you're a pastor, if you're a part of church leadership, uh, don't just handle it internally. The one thing I would encourage you to do that they did in my church that was so, so good and so, so healthy is that Our church elders, when I disclosed and I confessed to my church board, they reached out to eldership beyond our church. And so uh, there was a wonderful uh, uh, set of pastors in the city of Dallas that they reached out to. They uh, asked these pastoral elders that were leaders in our city to come in and help our local church navigate through this brokenness. And so uh, they had just all this guidance from pastors that had really no, uh, they had no viable interest necessarily, other than they just cared for our community. And uh, they were able to invest and love and care for our, our church family. And so I would, you know, I would just encourage you not to try to do it alone as a church, that if you have pastors outside of your church that you're in a relationship with, elders outside, perhaps the denominational, uh, you know, support, uh, reach out and, and don't do it alone. Yeah, that's great wisdom. Um, what about, you know someone who has gone through a restoration journey and they've been on the bench, whether that's, you know, they're, they've gone through a divorce or they had a moral failure or something has taken them out of ministry and now they're getting, they're ready to get back into ministry. 
What would you tell them? And also, what would you say to churches that are looking at the possibility of what could be a risk of taking on somebody or a perceived risk of taking on someone who has had a moral failure? What should they be looking at and to tell, hey, this person's ready to jump back into ministry? I'd love for you to hear from both of those perspectives, your thoughts. Great question, Vant. Uh, let's talk about the minister that has been through restoration first, being prepared to go back into ministry. Uh, first of all, make sure you have taken time to completely heal. Uh, I, I did not step back into a pulpit to speak, preach, do any kind of ministry for three years. Mm. And uh, I got right out of ministry. I did secular work. Uh, I knew I needed time to recalibrate, to figure out what was wrong. I, I went to rehab. Uh, I went to four men's uh, recovery groups a week. I had a counselor for uh, five years, actually. Um, I'm, still in a, I'm still in a men's group every week to this day, 10 years later. I lead it, but I'm still in it. And I'm a part of it. But um, so you've, you've got to make sure you give yourself all the time you need to be completely yeah. healthy and strong. And I would say the most important thing uh, that you need to process uh, as a leader is you need to know that you've been forgiven and that you've made amends, uh, that you feel that forgiveness from the people that you've offended or the people that you've hurt. If there's been an affair, uh, if there's been brokenness, that you've made proper amends and you've received that forgiveness and that you've forgiven yourself, mm-hmm. uh, that you've processed uh, your own forgiveness, that you uh, have received the forgiveness from the Lord, and that you've forgiven others because I'll tell you what, I see a lot of guys, especially, that have been through, uh, been through moral crisis in a church, uh, left their church or been kicked out or were disqualified and asked to leave, and they got really bitter and they got mad because people left them, people threw them aside or people stopped calling them or friends weren't there for them anymore. And they got bitter at those people. And they're like, man, you left me. And listen, that stuff happens. It's just, it's the reality of what happens. And mm-hmm. we don't like it. And it hurts at the time. But we, we just have to get past that. That's yeah. just part of the journey is some people don't know what to do. They don't know how to process someone that's had a moral failure. They don't know that they should call. Maybe they don't know what to say, right. you know, so... Just, you have to let that go. You have to Give be grace. bitterness. Yes, 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 yes. And in the church side, how do, you, how do you receive somebody that has been through a moral failure? Can you, yeah. can you uh, have somebody lead again in, in a church as a lead pastor, as a support pastor, uh, as, a, as a, you know, a worship pastor, whatever it may be? Uh, my feeling is yes. In fact, I feel like for myself, I'm not a, I'm not on a pastoral team today. I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor. I, uh, I travel. I speak in churches. I coach pastors. Uh, but do could I be a lead pastor today? Absolutely. Could I 
be on a pastoral team. Absolutely. I feel like I would be a better pastor, a more healthy pastor than I've ever been in times past. I'm sure. Because I live a more vulnerable life, a more humble life, a more transparent life that I've ever lived. Uh, My life is an open book. Uh, I just, I just, know that I would do a better job today because I'm in such a a better place. So most uh, men that I know that have been through real genuine repentance and real genuine restoration uh, are going to live and are going to shepherd and are going to care for God's people uh, in a better way. And so if I was taking on a pastor or taking on a staff member that had been through moral failure uh, and I was interviewing them for a possible position and I would just ask them all the hard questions, ask them how they processed through their failure, mm-hmm. ask them, you know, what precautions are they taking today to ensure they don't step back into that? How are they living today? Uh, you know, what is their marriage like today if they're married? Uh, you know, ask all of those really difficult questions and make sure that you're getting the right answers. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think just just to encourage churches to to be open, because you talked about it before you used the, the metaphor of the broken arm. And, you know, we've all heard that when we break an arm and it heals back many times, that that bone is stronger than it was before it was broken. And, you know, as part of what we do at Slingshot, we are, we see these, uh, so many people that are coming through a restoration journey and to hear their stories. The thing, the one theme that I get to, when I get to hear people's story, it's, there's a, a new sense of humility and grace and love and, and honestly, a, a relationship with, with Jesus. You know, I hear so many times pastors will say, you know, before I really, my relationship was, my relationship with God didn't exist. I just worked for God. And, and that was the beginning sometimes of that moral failure. But so many times, would you think that some, after someone goes through this journey that they are, they're, they're more prepared for, for ministry than even before they went through this? Absolutely. I mean, when you go through brokenness, your own personal shame, the pain that you not only feel in your own soul, but the pain that you feel for others that you bring into their lives, that enables you, I believe, to have so much compassion Mm -hmm. for others. Uh, I just, there's an empathy that I live into today that I, I never used to have. Sure. Uh, that I feel for, for others today. Uh, there, there's a depth uh, that I can speak into lives today that I could never speak into before just because of uh, what, I've, what I've been through. And so, yeah, I think, and everything is keyed into processing well, healing well. But, man, I, I can think of a pastor in Dallas right now who's a friend of mine who pastors one of the largest churches in Dallas, uh, amazing man. He's in his uh, 50s now, and uh, this guy is one of the strongest, most humble, healthiest men, has one of the strongest, most most healthy staff Mm 
uh, uh, that I know. And uh, he went through a moral, moral failure in his early 20s when he was a, a youth pastor, but processed that failure the right way, had the right people uh, come into his life and uh, got strong, got healthy, got back on track. And uh, today, like I said, is pastoring this amazing church. And so there's story after story like that. And man, if God can't take, you know, a broken man, a broken woman and, and prove his redemption and prove his resurrection, uh, then what is the gospel? This, this is what the gospel yes. truly is. And Absolutely. this is what resurrection, this is why we celebrate Easter, my friend. Yes. And uh, so, yes, uh, there's, there's hope for all of us. It's the paradox of God. The very thing that the enemy meant to destroy your ministry and destroy those, to bring them down, to bring death and destruction to life. That's the very thing that now you stand upon to minister to others that you would not be able to do this unless you had walked that path. I mean, to think, and it's all because of God's grace. Uh, he, he, he is the redeemer. And, and it's just amazing. Amazing. Yes. So tell us about your ministry now. And, you know, maybe for those that are walking through uh, this journey, I know chop, chopping wood. What is that? What is, what is chopping wood? What is that? What does that mean? I'm so curious. Well, uh, my dad uh, used to take me camping a lot. We grew up in Canada. And uh, we used to, we'd go to the mountains in uh, Alberta, Banff, uh, and uh, we, we'd have to chop wood, you know, for the campfire. And yeah. uh, he used to teach me how to chop wood. And chopping wood was not easy, man, especially yeah. when you were kid you'd have this axe and uh -huh. you'd be out there and and you'd just be sweating and and uh he'd always just say come on Blaine we've got to chop wood keep chopping and it was just hard work but if if you if you chop wood you'd get hot and twice you'd get hot chopping the wood and then you get warm a little bit later on uh burning it and so chopping wood for me was doing the hard work yeah. of restoration uh, after my disclosure. And so that first year, Vance, of just uh, leaning into uh, my resurrection, leaning into cultivating uh, a new soul, a new mm -hmm. mind, what it means uh, to live into God's grace and uh, what it means to live into brotherhood, what it means uh, to, uh, to live into godly purity. Uh, it was getting up every day and chopping wood. And, and what wow. you said, you know, there's a lot of, lot of guys that don't believe you can get free. Sure. I had a guy tell me the other day, he said, Blaine, I, I, don't, I don't know if I believe that you've been free for nine years. And I said, well, you get, a, you get a polygraph, my friend, and I'll take a polygraph any day of the week because it is possible. One of the lies that, that, uh, that men listen to is that you'll never get free of this because they've right. tried and tried and tried and they yep. keep going back. But chopping wood is doing the work and doing the work every day. And so that's what I do is I coach anywhere from three to four men every week, usually uh, via uh, uh, a video platform. We get online together where we can see each other and, and I can bring up 
uh, all kinds of resources online. And, and uh, I have about a six to eight week uh, course that I run them through and help them to walk into complete freedom from, from lust and pornography and sexual vice and coming out of affairs and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. But uh, I do that, and then I travel and I speak. I do a lot of men's groups and men's conferences and men's meetings and talk about resurrection on Sunday morning at churches and what it means to live a resurrected life and come out of uh, brokenness. And, and then our book is taking off. Uh, it's going all over the country. It's called uh, Death by a Thousand Lies. And I talk about, you know, like I said earlier, my, my biggest problem wasn't lust. It was lying. You know, mm-hmm. if I... If I could have just come and told someone the truth about what was really going on in my life, God could have set me free from the lust, but I, I just kept lying and I kept holding it in and I wouldn't tell anybody. And so finally, you know, after full disclosure, God set me free. And so the book is not a teaching book. It's an honest story. In fact, I couldn't find a Christian publisher to publish the book because it was so honest. They just kept telling me, Blaine, this is the most honest book we've ever read and we can't publish it. So <laughs> I said, all right, I'm going to publish it myself. And so we, uh, we put it together and it's selling like crazy. It's helping so many men. I've had women that have read it and said it saved my marriage because I read it. My husband read it. It got him out of porn. And uh, so it's on Amazon. Uh, I'd encourage, in fact, if, 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 if there's any pastor or any man or woman listening to this and you can't afford the 15 bucks uh, to buy the book, just send me an email. I will send you the book. I mean, I, I just, I want anyone and everyone uh, to get a hold of this book because it is life altering. It is the honest story of my, uh, my brokenness, how I got there, what happened in my disclosure, and then what happened in my resurrection. And uh, you can email me by just going to my website, blainebartell.com, and uh, my email is on that site. That's incredible. Blaine, thank you so much for sharing your story, being willing to be used by God. And uh, it's just amazing to see how God is continuing to use you and bring restoration and helping others experience resurrection. Thank you so much, Blaine. Appreciate all that you're doing. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Vance. Shout out to Slingshot. Love what you guys are doing. Uh, Just love the way you guys are connecting uh, churches and ministries together. So great to be with you today, bro. Thanks, Blaine. Thanks for everybody for joining us. We'll see you next time on Slingshot Group Podcast. So now we've come to that part in our show where we take a moment to share a story from the front lines, from the trenches of ministry. I believe that stories are one of the unique ways in which the playing ground for all of us is completely leveled. And if you've been in ministry for any amount of time at all, you realize that things oftentimes don't go as planned. And that's where some of our best stories come from. And I promise you, as you listen, this is one of those stories that you actually have to hear to believe. Check it out. Well, that is the sound of the Metrolink <laughs> behind us. I'm sitting here with our president and founder, Monty Kelso. And uh, we've come to that part in the episode where we like to take time and just 
share stories from the front lines and ministry. Yeah. Monty, it's great to have you on Thank the episode. You. We're yeah. listening to the train right behind us. We're in yes. downtown San Juan Capistrano. San Juan Capistrano. Yes, that's where the swallows come back every year. And then they leave at our favorite little coffee haunt called the Hidden House. Well, Monty, if you think about stories from all your years of experience in ministry, so many, I'm sure, come to mind. But for those that are listening today, you know, we're all in this together. Sometimes we can feel like we're on an island out there doing this by ourselves. Oh, yeah. I think stories have humanized all of us and yeah. brings us together. Well, I'm going to get real human with you right now. All right. Bring it on. <laughs> story time with Monty. Story time. So some of you may know that I was a worship leader for 20 years at a church called Coast Hills Community Church in Aliso Viejo, California. And it was a 20-year run. I was the worship pastor. So I was in front of people a lot. And I have this way of just getting really comfortable in on the mic, like too comfortable. In fact, right now, <laughs> I'll probably say something stupid. But I just have this series of faux pas that I've said that have got me in trouble. Yeah. You want to hear some of those? I'd love to hear all of them. <laughs> okay, well, one of the first ones, and, and I become stigmatized over it. And, you know, I like to say it humbles me, keeps me humble, and it certainly does but uh, probably one of the the ones I had the hardest one overcoming was one or two years in the ministry again it was me setting up you know welcoming people and it was a fourth of July weekend mm -hmm. and I I was just young and dumb and I I said I know it's fourth of July and you know I'll just be I'll just be real with you I hate flag waivers <laughs> but you know I went on to Talk oh, about man. There was a literal gasp. Oh yeah. In yeah. In the congregation when I said that. That followed me for days and days and days. Or yeah. years and years and years. Another time I was wow. asked to be on a panel. <laughs> and this was me and three other guys uh, were asked to be on a mops panel. Mothers oh. of preschoolers. Yeah. And they just wanted to hear the husband's perspectives. And uh, at that time my wife and I I think we our, our boys, we had three boys all close together in age. I think they were eight, six, and four, something like that. So okay. we'd had a little experience with preschoolers. And one of the questions was something about, uh, you know, how, how has that affected my relationship with my wife mm -hmm. and, you know, recovering after pregnancy and delivery. And, and I was just, I was in a really good mood and just, <laughs> you know, I yeah. felt like I knew these people. You were feeling great. I was feeling great. And I just said something, you know, I realize, you know, when you when you have a baby, it's tough. But, ladies, just get over it. You know, just <laughs> you did care, not just take care of yourself. You and did just not. get past it. I did. Oh. I really did. That one. Wow. I mean, my poor wife had had people writing letters and yeah. coming up to her in the hallway and said, "I'm so sorry." And what's it What's it like being married to this man? I know. <laughs> and you know, at that point, I was old enough to know better. Sure. I mean, I I failed drastically and again it was just me not thinking before I speak yeah. and letting my mouth outrun my brain sure so big faux pas like that and literally to this day I think there are people because of things I've said without thinking that look at me differently because of it and I'm yeah. sure there's a you know a list a mile long that I could come up with where I've said things and people haven't said anything sure but those are two doozies right there. That's amazing, actually. I cannot believe that on the 4th of July, you called out flag waivers. <laughs> or said, I hate flag waivers. Yeah. What was I thinking? Yeah. And yeah. I don't. Right. You know, I'm yeah, all yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. But it, it was, I don't know. In the moment. Those in, the, in the moment things. Yeah. I, I think as leaders, 
especially if we're just not present or we're not, let's blame it on not enough sleep the night before something, you know, <laughs> not the stupidity. Right. But I, I really do think that as leaders, we have to be careful what we say. So and good. We realize the bigger the platform, the bigger the scrutiny, the bigger the target. And I think sometimes the evil one wants to take out leaders by stupid things we say. You can't take those back, yeah. especially today where things are recorded. Yes. Uh, or you're on social media yeah. and you post something that has uh, a lot of weight to it and yeah. it's absolutely ridiculous and stupid to say it. Yeah, such a great reminder that our voices carry weight. Yeah. Also a great reminder of that proverb that says, even a fool seems wise until he opens his mouth. Yeah, well, and so, that's me. I was very <laughs> foolish. Been there too. In a couple of those situations. You yeah. have been there? Oh yeah, for sure. Do you want to share one? Oh man, Uh <laughs> Yeah, there was uh, there was a Sunday where I just got on a soapbox about you know Christian everything. You know, we have Christian bookstores, we have you know Christian music, we have you know this whole subculture of Christianity. And so I'm a teaching pastor on staff at a church, yeah, and you weren't for it, and I'm not. <laughs> and so I'm just slamming Christian bookstores, and I called it Jesus junk. Oh yeah, and I was talking about you know the prayer of Jabez on doggy dish bowls and oh, all yeah. this stuff I've yeah. seen. Well, that backfired. Oh well, the the owner of the like largest Christian bookstore, of course, happened to be of course a member. Oh my God. I, of our church for some 20 years. Of course, I'm a new teaching pastor yeah. so six months in. I mean, oh, I literally went to his place of business yeah. and just told him I was an idiot. Yeah. And I was just trying to say something to get yeah. a reaction, yeah. which I did, yeah. but not the one I wanted. And, you know, I, I uh, but now laughing about it, but oh, the call after the service. You know, I left service feeling great, didn't even get through lunch. And I've got an elder calling me saying, Do you know what you oh, just yeah. did? Yeah. And so, yeah, just. I think it's the ability to humble yourself and go back and just own it, though. And oh, yeah. Owning people are more gracious than we give them credit for when yeah. we make a mistake or when we do fail. Isn't there a book about failing? Yeah, failing forward. Failing forward. Yeah, Maxwell yeah. writes about that. Yeah. I, in some ways, it builds more credibility when people can relate to failure, right? Yeah. It's so good. So, yeah, maybe I need to fail. I'm sure it'll happen. <laughs> well, you've Let's heard wrap it. this up before I say something stupid. <laughs> well, you've heard it here. Monty, thanks so much for joining us. So great to have your voice finally on Thank our you. podcast. And uh, we we'll look forward to hearing more from yeah. you in the future. Appreciate all you guys are doing with this podcast. It's really helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Monty. Thank you for joining us this week on the Slingshot Group podcast. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media. You can find Slingshot Group on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.